Buglers, we are live from Leicester Square Theatre on the 16th of September with Chris Addison and Alice Fraser. It might be our only London date of the year, so get your tickets now. Oh, get them at thebuglepodcast.com. That, that bit's important. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is a podcast from The Bugle. Hello and welcome to Catharsis. I'm Tiff Stevenson, full-time comedian, part-time massively unqualified therapist for this podcast only. (laughs) Each each week I talk to a guest about small things that pet peeves and big things that maybe need release. Why why did I make that sound like a hand job? Did it mean to... (laughs) It sounds like a happy ending. Anyway, we dive into a topical gripe and a historical beef to see if we can provide some insight, but mainly some catharsis. You can sweat the small stuff with me. This week, I want to talk about how people are behaving in the heat, because the slightest bit of sunshine. I saw nipples on the train the other day. Nipples. A man got on with his top off. It's not even properly summer yet, and we just lose our minds instantly. And the nakedness of colleagues, like office colleagues, you know, is upsetting, isn't it? Lunch hour comes, it's straight to the nearest patch of green, even if it's a roundabout. People are rolling up their trousers, taking their tops off. And I can't eat my sandwich now. I know Graham from Accounts has an outie. This is not what I need to see. I also, I went swimming in the local Lido and it was, and I mean, you might appreciate this. My guests might appreciate this because... It's a weekend, it's the Lido, and there's nowhere to swim. It's just, it becomes human soup with Larry Londoner croutons. And I could just hear, Dave, Dave, I'm a cherub. Look, I'm a cherub. And I'm hoping that someone's not peeing in the pool and it's just someone spitting water out of their mouth down my back. So delightful. <laughs> so that's my complaint this week, is what happens to common decency as soon as the sun comes out? Why can we not control ourselves? Um, and that is a question I should probably put to our guest this week. I'm very excited to be joined by comedian, author, raconteur and uh, francophile, I think it's fair to say, Ian Moore. And definitely, definitely francophile. Well, I'm French. That's how <laughs> francophile I am. I'm actually French now. Uh, and the, 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 your pet peeve there, your uh, people stripping off. The, what I find is the first people to take their tops off are the ones who've done the homemade tattoos. kind of faded and aggressive from drunken evenings years ago and they're they're proudly parading these things like like they're at the Mardi Gras in uh, in Rio or something it's it's horrible it's horrible it's a very British thing I think that 
It is. So they, they're not really doing it in France, are they? No. No, absolutely not. They just, they just don't. They just don't. They don't take their clothes off. They, there's no need for it. There's absolutely no need for it. The French are, talking about the Lido though, the French are appallingly behaved as soon as they get near water. The French are like gremlins. If you, if you, put, if you put them anywhere near water, they become really leery. They're, they're, they're so cool the rest of the time. But near water, they are very, very leery people. Yes. And don't feed them after midnight. No, <laughs> constantly. They're still at dinner after midnight. <laughs> Unless it's wine or cheese, uh, which which can go on until the small hours of the morning. Um, well, thank you for joining us on the podcast, joining us all the way from France. As is the custom on this podcast, we like to begin with asking a guest about an old grudge something that you've been thinking about that's under your skin, that's getting on your nerves, you wish you'd have handled differently, or maybe you handled it perfectly, but you just want to air it, get it off your chest. Mrs. Waterworth. She um, she was my Straight first. in with a name. <laughs> Straight in with... Oh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm pulling no punches as far as Mrs. <laughs> Waterworth is concerned. I, I was born in the north. I was born in Blackburn, and we moved to uh, near Kings Lynn, uh, when I was about six, and I, I went to the school, the the first school I was, no, it was the second school I was at there. I, I went to about eight different primary schools. Um, but the second school I was there, the, the first day, Mrs. Waterworth um, put me at the back of the class and labelled me the thick northerner. And I, I, it's never, ever left me. Never. Oh. It, 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 it's it, it kind of, I break out in a cold sweat during the day, and I think, what, what, what's up? What's, what's up? And I go, ah, yeah, Mrs. Waterworth. And 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 it's st- and, and and I like grudges. I I think grudges are, are, are quite healthy. That you, you not just carry them around, almost almost parade them like weapons. I find, <laughs> I, find, I, find I find them really. I quite enjoy that. But Mrs. Waterworth is still, it still affects me. It really still affects me. Were you thinking of Mrs. Waterworth yesterday when you were doing the launch of your new book, thinking, <laughs> I'll show you? I mean, her the, name's the... so close to Jobsworth. It's beautiful. <laughs> Jobsworth Waterworth, yeah. Um, there is an element of um, not so much revenge, but uh, for instance, I did a signing at a Waterstones a couple of weeks ago in Horsham where I... I, I Spent my teenage years in in Horsham, and I and I <laughs> normally I just sign my name in books when I when I'm in a bookshop, and I actually <laughs> I wrote this will teach you, Mrs Maynard for your English A level shouting at me and telling me <laughs> I would never make anything of myself, and and just wrote like a whole essay in the front of the book. Whoever's going to buy it? Thinking, what an angry man this person is. <laughs> I had a I had a drama teacher who was like, mm, yes, but it's not a career for you, is it? <laughs> so TV series after TV series later, just going, yeah, take that, Mrs. Williams. Yeah, know what you're talking about, do you? It's, it's, yeah. it's those, I think I think teachers um, plant those seeds. I, I think that you know they've all they've got like a list when they retire. They go, yeah, upset that one. Upset that 
really got under the skin of that one. It's like it's like a legacy. They've got like a legacy list where of people they've really undermined. Yes, and then the ones that do succeed, they they'll say, "Well, that's why I did it." <laughs> exactly. I did that. I I, I, I did that. that because I pushed you. If it hadn't been me telling you that you were hopeless and uh, had no future in front of you, what would you have done? What would you have done? It worked. In a way, it worked, you know. It, 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 I, I'm not saying my whole life is built on some kind of revenge, but my whole life is built on some kind of revenge. <laughs> I, really, I, really, I really think that I'm doing my own kind of legacy list going, right, I've got you back, I've got you back, I've got you back. And did she did she say the words? Did she say about you being northern, or was it? Yeah, an already... oh, yeah. she said. She literally said, "You're the thick northerner. You can go and sit at the back." Wow. Yeah. Wow. And then did that encourage other pupils to join in on that? Do you think that opened up the possibility? No. Uh, no. no, because um, I was quite feisty uh, because, like I said, that I think that was my. I was only six and that was my third primary school already, having moved about a, a fair bit. So nobody tried to bully me um, because I, 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 bullying in all forms, I absolutely abhor and I fight back. Um, so nobody joined in, nobody joined, jumped on her bandwagon. I did lose my accent very quickly. <laughs> so there must have been something going did on. Did you turn up what, hey, oh, Mrs. Waterworth? And then <laughs> yeah, a week later right. you were like, right, don't love. worry about it. <laughs> All right, love, you want gravy on your chips? <laughs> <laughs> wow, so that was your third in, in third in, primary in, school. In, in, in two years, yeah. yeah. Right. Because I started in Blackburn. And we went to, um, I went to uh, uh, the primary school there and I'd walk to school every day with my cousins who lived at the end of the road and we were a bit of a gang. And then we moved to, um, like I said, to Kings Lynn. And Norfolk? Yeah. And, and I, <laughs> I, got, I got beaten up on my first day at primary school in Kings Lynn because I had a funny accent. How, I mean, the, <laughs> the, it just... Unbelievable! Unbelievable! No, no self-regard at all in uh, in Norfolk. <laughs> and then you moved again to Horsham. Yeah, we moved again. We moved to Sussex. By which time I had uh, I had a Norfolk accent, um, and I got beaten up on my first. <laughs> it's sort of uh, it's sort of crazy, isn't it? I suppose how. Um... Yeah, I think you have to be quite resilient because that's quite a lot of moving for that sort of age of your life. It was, and, and you, you, you. I think for the first, for the sort like for the first few primary schools, I did my best to to fit in. Um, but then I think by the time we got to fifth or sixth, I was like, oh no, here we go again, and just sort of. Slumped in a corner, not thinking I'd be there for very long anyway. So what did it matter? Yeah. Um, but you, yeah, you develop you develop a really thick skin, I think. You because be I I had one junior school and then I and one high school, but I left a year before everyone else because I think mine started a year earlier. So I didn't get my final year at my primary school with all of my friends. So I was right. sort of felt like I missed out. On yeah. that. 
I, at the last primary school I went to, the entire year had just come back from, um, from whatever school trip they were on. So they were all full of these memories. So I was even more excluded. Bonded, they're bonded from that. Yeah. yeah, completely. And, and I just wasn't part of it. I mean, I was only there for a year, so it didn't matter that much. Well, this is all the classic outsider stuff that makes someone become a stand-up comedian, right? It is. It is. You're like, I can exactly. work any room. I've worked six <laughs> schools. I can play any club, anywhere you want me to be. It's all right. I know how to do it. Just don't heckle me with being thick and northern and we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. don't, don't, don't give me that. Just, don't, just, just, don't, just sit there and I'll work you. I'll work yeah. you. Hey, hey. You're six, nice. Where do, what do you do for a living? Yeah. <laughs> Where are you from, pal? Which street? Let's get specific. Um, so, so Mrs. Waterworth, what did she teach? Well, it was just general, wasn't it? It was just. It was oh, just she was your form school. tutor. In primary school, we just had the same teacher all day. Uh, right. So it would be, a, you know, she'd be a mix of whatever, all lessons, really. I, f- I sort of. It comes up quite often on the podcast, I guess, teachers. I think Josh Gondelman talks about his Spanish... He talked about his Spanish teacher at length and how he wasn't able to let it go. But I think it's because it's such a formative... Those are such formative years of your life that you form... That you have, you know, these... They're the first time that someone outside of your family who... People who just, like, love you unconditionally or even fight with you, but it's... It's unconditional from the point of view of if you're fighting with your brother and sister, you know you're going to see them the next day. Like, you're not going to... It's also that they... In effect, you spend more time with them than you do with your own family anyway. Yeah. It's like you're there from whatever it was, eight, nine o'clock until four o'clock in the afternoon with the same teacher. And you might, after that, only get like four hours with your parents or your siblings or whatever. So they they are your main... They are your world, you know. So if they if they declare <laughs> pretty early on that they've got very little time for you, it's it's like a sentence, and it does stay with you. Yeah, yeah. You've opted for war. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've, from day one, you've, you've made your viewpoint pretty clear. That yes. Where we we know where we stand or sit at the back. Yeah. So if you're listening, Mrs. Waterworth. If you're out there, just know. I I think she's uh, I think she's working with the mercenaries in Ukraine at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that with us. Your old grudge. Um, what a great one! And I'm very happy for you that you've uh, you've got this fantastic career, and now Mrs. Waters Watersworth <laughs> job slash Jobsworth um, can can view it from the Ukraine. I hope so. <laughs> uh, when, when she's uh, she's probably you know killing prisoners of war in a in a spare time and then sitting down to read one of my books, going, oh, "I created that," <laughs> and then showing it to them, going, "Look what I could do." <laughs> when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The next section of the podcast we call Topical Cream. This is where we attempt to apply some balm to a stingy news story that's got you all het up. Something that's happening in the news. It doesn't have to be protest just because you're in France. Um, I wanted to see. I wanted to see what you would bring to the table. Well, I, I'm going with the government, the UK government, and just there, there has to be. There should be at some point somebody who, like a like a parent, like a government parent, who just goes, "That's enough now. You've, <laughs> you, you know, you're not you're not doing anything. You're basically just lining your your pockets for when you lose the next election." Some this should be something where somebody just throws in the towel and goes, "Look, can we can we get back to to adulthood now?" You yes, know, it's 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 so relentless that it's almost people are almost not aware of how bad these people are and and what they're doing it's 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 every day there's something else well you sort of get into a state of apathy because you feel like you feel like if you've been shouting about it and if you shouted about it all the way through the pandemic and if you sort of I sort of say um I talk about this a bit in my current show but I sort of say the if you list up, if you stack the things that the Tories have done over the pandemic, they've got more blood on their hands than me trying to remove my moon cup, which, uh, <laughs> which, <laughs> which I think if you're not, if you're not furious with them at this point, then you're not paying attention, I guess. I think it's the PPE contracts that we're, you know, we're now, we've got this privileges yeah. committee thing with Boris. We've got, you know, all of the people who we were told, how dare you suggest that they're either lying or spinning stuff. And people like Dominic Cummings who are now coming out and going, oh no, he lied about this. He lied about this. Yeah. You know, uh, Boris is shocking and a mess. And yeah. Brexit, we, we've it's a disaster zone. Um, we, we got trade deals with other people. The cost of living's gone up. No, we can't do anything about the energy companies, even though elsewhere in Europe. Yeah. People aren't know, paying. This is the thing. I mean, France, the electricity in France has always been about four times the cost that it is in the UK anyway. It's a very expensive thing over here. But in the UK, it's, it's the same with the train companies. They're run by a lot of European companies who have just gone over and gone, this is so good. We can just cream all this off. And, and it doesn't matter. Nobody's, nobody's complaining. You know, I the, the I've got this theory that um, because obviously over here there's, there's so many protests and so many strikes, and in a way, the French Revolution kind of ruined France and and its and its 
its mentality. But not having a revolution in the UK has ruined their mentality as well. Right. Kind of, there should be like a happy medium. Where you can't over here, you know, the a slight, half a beheading. A half a, half a beheading. A... Uh, right, down the middle. <laughs> a guillotine down the middle rather than across the neck. Um, it's just, you know, if, if Macron had lowered the retirement age, there'd still have been strikes. Right. Because it's, because it's the season. Yeah, it's, it's the sea. I like it. I it's like what it. we do. I like it. So like we have a uh, we have PIM season and Wimbledon, and in in yeah. France it's like oh, it's protest season. Will Absolutely. I see you? Will I see you next season? Sure. <laughs> what colour jacket are you going to be wearing? Yellow. Yellow. Is it going to be yellow? <laughs> <laughs> well, I admire it. Quite aggressive. Oh, I, I know, and I know that people admire it, but I, I, but it's not. It's like, for instance, all, all kicking off in Paris and, and the biggest cities like Marseille and Lyon and, and Rouen as well. Um, it wasn't about the retirement age. It's just, it's, it's extreme politics. Like you've got Le Pen on the right and Mélenchon on the left. And Mélenchon is just as bad as Le Pen. Um, but creating something that wasn't really a problem. Right. You know, it, and it's just about the the the, the difficulty Macron has is, is that because his party is so completely new, is that it hasn't got like a media base or it hasn't got traditional supporters, so it's too easy to turn on him. Right. Um, and and the right and the left obviously love all that and and just and stoke it completely. It's I was walking through Paris. A few weeks ago, just before the, I was stuck in Paris, actually, because there was a train strike, I couldn't get home. Um, but they were expecting big protests that evening, and it was it was like a ghost town. It was like a wild west. The, you know, the the barriers were up, shops were shut. It was it was really unnerving. But they knew that this would all kick off, and but there's you know there's nothing you can do. I saw a video, and I don't know if it's true, is it, which was like literally Paris burning in the background while people are sat outside a cafe. Yeah. I don't know yeah. whether that's... That, I, I, think it, I think that was fake. It was a fake it footage. It, it was a fake photo. Right, yeah. right. I, I, I know that one. It's, it's wonderfully French. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, I, a friend of mine, she sent me a picture. She was on a protest and she, was, she had a glass of wine in her hand. <laughs> And a bottle of wine in the other, and walking down the middle of Paris, surrounded by you know violence and anger, and just pouring herself wine. <laughs> a little, a, that's so funny. I'm very angry, but I'm also going to smoke this gouloir. <laughs> exactly. That, exactly. That. I will protest, but with insouciance. Um, I I deeply care, but I also don't care at the same time. Which isn't isn't yeah. that so funny? Because that's the two the colliding of the two things. Because protests suggest you deeply care, but the whole French attitude is, I do not care. I'm yeah, quite cavalier exactly. about it. Like, it's like they've all turned up and just gone. Well, I didn't know this was going on. I'm just here, you know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. So, but yeah, because we because we were sort of like, oh, we admire, we admire it because they're they like they're going to protest and riot about the, the the pensionable age and we're just sort of sitting here going oh we'll just freeze our way through winter that seems <laughs> yes. that seems reasonable we'll freeze our way through winter we can't afford to eat 
and our government ministers are literally pooing in our own rivers. Yes. And, and we're going to do nothing about it. We'll just float this, on down the shit stream. There in the middle. <laughs> it's just... It's so... At what point? At what point does... Does the does English society go? Well, do you know what I've had enough? Well, do you know what we'd like to do instead of going? Let's protest. Let's complain. What we like to do is um, police each other. So that was the that was the yes. thing that happened. I've spoken about this before, but when they, you know, when they the energy price caps came out and stuff, it was a lot of people coming online going, "You don't know hard." You know, those sort of people like, we had to share one square of chocolate between 12 of us. You know, like that kind of, that sort of mad. So it's people telling other people that that you don't know hard, you don't understand it. We did this when I was a little. And you go, yeah, and that was crap. And you shouldn't have to do yeah. that again. And especially what not is... after you've worked your whole life to not experience hard exactly. times. Uh, Damien Green, um, a conservative MP, was talking about the the sewage in in rivers and said, well, it was perfectly normal when we were growing up to to swim in in sewage, in, in sewage. Yeah. And you yeah. think, well, but that's not a good thing. That's a, what yeah. Is, what, <laughs> yeah. What, what? That's not a defence. Oh come on, back in our day, we just swam through the shit and got on with it. That's the problem <laughs> with bother, youth today. Didn't even bother swimming. Just swallowed somebody else's shit. Didn't yeah. get wet that way. <laughs> yeah. Just open your mouth and let the turd in. It's nutrients. <laughs> like, that's the kind of stuff where where it feels so mad. It feels so mad that you kind of go, there are people that we can turn to and camp. we can campaign, we can protest, we can speak up, but you'd rather just tell each other, oh, you don't know hard. You yeah. don't know hard. You don't know difficult. Swim in the shit. Enjoy it. Enjoy swimming in the shit. Have a nice day. It's, summer. It's time it's to swim in the shit. A, it's such a crazy defence. It's such. It's but it's not a defence. It's like ah, oh, don't worry about it. Yeah, we yeah we've really screwed up. But don't worry about it. We used to screw up all the time. <laughs> so we're going to continue. <laughs> what we like in this nation is tradition, <laughs> and our tradition yeah. is making a mess of it. Yeah, it just sort of feels. It it it, it feels. It feels mad. And then when you go, we want to go back to traditional values. And you go, is that the kind of values you want to go back to? Exactly. Yeah, bring back tuberculosis. Bring back, yeah. <laughs> bring back TB. Well, polio's on its way back. So, you know. Excellent. Good, good old-fashioned Victorian values. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Where we used to go. In fact, that was, uh, they used to swim in the sea. The Victorians used to go to Blackpool and Brighton and they would go for they perambulate. They called it walk. That's what they yeah. call walking. We all call it walking, mate. It's a bit of walking, isn't it? Perambulating. <laughs> and then they would swim in the sea for health purposes. But I, that still makes me laugh, just the idea of someone swimming through it. Oh, look, William, a sheath. <laughs> like, I, 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 I like the idea of it somehow but then they'd have these little boxed off areas wouldn't they for modesty so that you wouldn't see them in their full yes you know. they, they, they'd have tracks didn't they they had tracks yes. going into the sea yeah so nobody could see bless the Victorians yeah there must have been far more going on underneath the Victorian. what we know of Victorians um, yes, there must have been that. Oh, the, there was a definitely a seedy underbelly of perversion. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> normally, normally from the royal family, as far as I'm aware. Well, <laughs> listen, I'll tell you what: if you were depressed during Victorian times, 
you'd have like if you went in as a woman and you were depressed they had a big a big dildo didn't they? a big vibrator so you'd right. get fr- you'd get frigged off if i'm depressed now i go to the doctors you know i'm gonna get some prozac what if i want to be frigged off <laughs> what? <laughs> why can't we bring back the victorian method <laughs> just this gigantic vibrator with three different people manning it with goggles on going we need to make this woman well <laughs> well, you'd be lucky to get an appointment um, to start with, but they, they should. They if it, if it's you know, look look if it's that simple, there should be uh, like civic dildos like that in 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 town centres. Oh my god, that, I'm going you know, to the civic just... dildo. <laughs> yes. I'm going to the local dildo. <laughs> Me and Gladys are just popping down to the civic dildo. <laughs> oh my god. Amazing! Imagine how happy everyone would be. Just fantastic! Such a you know that is the kind of thing that that, that draws society together. Yep. Where are you going? I'm going down the Civic Dildo. All right, I'll see you there at three. <laughs> Thank you for sharing your topical your topical cream. Um, yeah, I fully agree. I'm 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 with you and. Uh, so I'm going to take some of the French method, but not all of it. I am yeah. definitely taking the drinking wine while you're on it, though. Oh, well, this is the only way to protest. <laughs> yeah, wine and cigarettes. This is the section of the podcast where we ask for an unpopular opinion, a thing that everyone hates but you love, or vice versa. Well, we've kind of covered that, really, because it's it's the idea of the French. Um, <laughs> how... How so my idea of the French, my romanticised, my grandmother was half French, uh, right. but my romanticised idea of of French people, the 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 reality versus how people think French people are. Yeah, it, it, I think that there's um, obviously there's you know there's centuries of um, antipathy that has grown up be- between the British. Well, no, sorry, not the British, the English. And the French is because you know the Welsh, the Irish, and the Scots adore the French. I think, um, but there's this idea that the French are filthy, work shy, yet at the same time great lovers. I don't think you can be filthy, work shy, and still be a great lover. But there's this kind of stereo, you know it doesn't it doesn't it unless doesn't you're work. into someone I've tried who it. Ha- <laughs> unless you're into someone who hasn't washed and can't be bothered in the sack. Yeah. Exactly. I remember before we moved to before we moved to France, we were out walking the dog one day, um, and we saw this guy who we regularly saw um, walking his dog, um, and we said, "Oh, we, you know, we won't see you again. We're we're moving to France," and he said, "Ah, oh, France is great. It's just full of French people." And that, and he wasn't the first person to say that. You know this idea that that the France is a wonderful place if you got rid of all the people in it and put English people in it, oh. that it would be so, but that it would be somehow better. I was I was sitting as I tend to do. Um, I sit outside the local bar and just you know read or whatever. And I was there one time and this obviously English tourists walked past and, and this woman said. Oh, this is it's such a beautiful little town. Is it what it needs though is a right good chippy? <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. No, it really does. <laughs> go, go home for that. 
it. We do not want your English fat (laughs) chips. No. You put gravy? You put gravy on your chips? No. Put wine on your chips. Um, It's it's, Because I'm French and I'm English. I kind of... um, And my son had this as well, because my son, my eldest son, was born in the UK, but we moved here when he was four. And he, um, for a lot of the time he was uh, at school, he was quite, um, he was quite aggressively English. He was very, very proud of where he came from and and proud to be, to be different to everybody else in in the village school. Um, Aggressively so, you know, he would get into fight, typically English. And... um, (laughs) And but then when Brexit happened, he completely changed. He was practically wearing striped shirts with onions around his neck. <laughs> I'm so French now. Um, there's a real, there's a, there are. It's, it's a very distinct attitude. The French see themselves almost as as a race rather than a nationality. Right. Um, and I, I really, I love that. I, I, I love that. And, and the idea that I think a lot of... I remember a, a well-known comic saying to me once, um, the, the French hate us, don't they? And no, the French don't hate the English, not one bit. They, they, I don't think most of them even know the English exist. They really don't care. <laughs> they, they don't give you any thought at all. They're not interested. They yes. don't really hate you. They just, they're just—they're not thinking just about not English. Us. The English—they're just being French. Yes. They're just busy yeah. being yeah. liberty, yeah. égalité, fraternité, <laughs> sororité. Let's bring it's, the women in. It's, it's a full-time <laughs> job being French. You know, it's—it's—it's it's, it's not something you, you you take lightly. You have to. You, there are certain, I think, criteria that you have to you have to match up to every day. I um, think we see that glamour. We see that. Um, you know, that kind of like shabby chic of French. The, no matter what it is, it's chic, even if it's shabby, yeah. because you've got chateau everywhere that people can just buy, you know, yeah. for like the mortgage on a house that you would have exactly. in London. You can just Why do you get... think I'm here? <laughs> we sold our little box in Crawley and bought, you know, a dream property. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's a wonderful country. Well, and also so your wife is French, right? Well, no, I made that up. Um, okay. <laughs> she's, she's half French. My mother-in-law's French, but you can't, you know, you can't go on stage as a comic and start talking about your mother-in-law. You just can't. <laughs> With that. You can't. Not, not anymore. There's Who too much it? baggage. <laughs> this is Bernard, a French Bernard Manning. <laughs> Monsieur Manning. Monsieur Manning, yes. My mother-in-law. I think the French don't hate the English. I think they like it when you attempt to integrate speak the language and be because barging in and speaking english in france is quite entitled oh yeah oh definitely i mean and there's but there's also the the reverse of that and this you know this the old sore about um speaking french and they will reply in english which is right which is annoying but then i was in a french restaurant in london about three weeks ago and he was speaking to me in English and I was replying in French. And <laughs> so, so you kind of get the inverse. Right, right. I like to try, even when I, I was in Belgium at the end of last year, so I was sort of trying in the French places, you know, and I'm aware that there's, you know, regional, like the Belgian accent is going to be different yeah. as well. But 
But uh, and then there's obviously the Flemish bit that I can't. Nobody speaks that anymore. It's not even <laughs> the Flems. <laughs> um, but I was trying, and then I was just having to ask them to slow down, and I was giving it. I was giving it a shot. I think that's the thing. Is if, if you're willing to like try. And yeah. they're like, oh, it's nice that you tried, but I think this kind of sort of demand that English people can definitely have traveling around the world of going, we're just English, isn't it? It's English. And you're like, good God, no, you're not, you're not in England now. So just, just attempt understand. to learn a couple of phrases just to help it's, it's you along. It's just the basics. Just the basics. Don't, don't say hello. Don't say thank you. Say bonjour. Say merci. It's not. Yeah. It's really not that difficult. It's, you know, it's just the, the idea that you can, you can just walk into a boulangerie and just say and point at something and then say thank you in English. Yeah. It's so rude. Yes. It's yeah. so rude. Yeah. You know, and and they do love it when you make the effort. Of course. Je voudrais un pain au chocolat. But, yeah. <laughs> you know. I've just... been here eighteen years. They're getting tired of my efforts. <laughs> <laughs> To get French nationality, I had to do um, language tests, and it was just—it was an appalling, it was an appalling <laughs> exercise. But I, I am still, even now, I've no idea how I got through that. I mean, I'm, I am essentially fluent now, but um, I remember we were, we were, my wife said we were filling out the the application form to take the French test, and she said, "Why don't we just put you down as a mute?" <laughs> <laughs> How long has it taken you to get to fluency, do you think? Uh, well, I don't like to admit that there's, there's fluency because if, if, yeah. if people think you're fluent, they're going to talk to you. And I'm not, I'm not keen. <laughs> I'm not keen on that. Uh, immersion is the, the best way to learn a language, I think it is, is to be a, yeah. being immersed in a society or in a place. And um, it, it, you, you don't have any choice. No, exactly. Exactly. Um, it, it kind of, you know, I've tried over the years, you know, because the thing is, obviously, as as comedians, we're used to, uh, if we're not being understood, we're, we can't do our job. So I found, I found it really hard that I had to kind of suppress my natural instincts to be sarcastic or or whatever, <laughs> because I didn't have the language skills to be able to do that. Yes. Um, and even when I tried, you know, sometimes it was it was a disaster. Many, many years ago, uh, we were having um, the loft converted into, into a bedroom. This was the day after the World Cup final in 2006, when Zinedine Zidane got sent off for, for headbutting. Yes, um, I remember this. The Italian player. And and the, the the builders were upstairs, and and I went in and said hello, and I went, that's Zidane, he's nuts, isn't he? Uh, and they down tools. My wife had to persuade them to come back. I was, <laughs> just to, I was just trying to be funny. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't slagging him off. I was just, yeah. just saying oh, he's a, he's a bit mad, isn't he? And and they just took it so badly, and my wife <laughs> <laughs> had to persuade them to come back and carry on. I go, he's English. He doesn't understand. He doesn't know what he's saying. <laughs> He doesn't know what he's saying. <laughs> Before we go, a couple of things. I'd like to get into a, a listener problem because I do a section of the podcast called Angry Aunt, which is Excellent. where people send me their issues 
Uh, and I have a couple here. The first one I, I just want to put across says, Dear Angry Aunt, is it okay for people to use their Zoom cameras like bathroom mirrors? I don't want to see anyone poking their eyeballs or sticking a swab up their nostrils or showing me that judgy face where they consider if their eyebrows are on straight. So <laughs> here's one of the things I found during uh, lockdown when the Zoom first started and we're on a Zoom now. Um, I Men are so unaware of their angles. Women, I think, we take photos. Like, I'm always like, don't be shy, go high. Put the camp, you know, men during yeah. during those co- seem to have think the most flattering angle is directly up the nose. In, <laughs> I know in, exactly <laughs> what you mean. <laughs> in full, like full view of nostril hair. So, um, so yeah, so I think it's that in the middle of having a being on a conference on a Zoom with lots of people that there's someone there just checking how they look the entire time. I think I think I've I've not suffered from that because I'm so vain. I'm aware of of my angles at all time. The, my laptop uh, at the moment is, is I've got a specific stand that right. I bought just so that it's at the right angle, so I so you don't see all twelve of my chins. Yes, that's that's, yes. that's the thing. <laughs> we're in showbiz, so we're always we're always aware of the. The angles, but I do find that I find that it can be distracting. I'm like, if you're going to do that, just switch your camera off. But if you're going to be pottering about and doing, you know, I've got this bookshelf behind me. I could be taking things off. I could be flicking because you what what it says to you is the person's not engaged with what you're saying. So I don't think it is okay. I mean, she's asking, is it okay? I don't think. I think it's fine to use your uh, your camera, your phone camera. As a mirror, I'll often do that on yeah. the train to check myself out. But I think in the middle, in the midst of a phone call, if you're there just like doing your eyebrows and like checking yourself out, I'm going to be raging. Well, also buy a mirror. Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, uh, but uh, uh, what I think of like like you're on a tube or a train and and women are putting on full makeup. Uh, on the tube or the train, even though it's rattling around. And then I was in a tube once, and um, and this woman started putting hairspray. <laughs> Cloud we of all, hairspray. We were all being maced. <laughs> See, I have a, I do my makeup on the train, and I've got it down to such a fine art. I'm like, if you think you've seen skill at the Cirque du Soleil, you haven't <laughs> seen me putting on eyeliner as a train breaks into the station. That is some higher wire stuff. I could take an eye out. I'm very skilled at this. But I do think there is a line. I think I don't want to see you doing ablutions. I don't want to see anything that oh, no. should be done in. I don't want to see tweezing. I don't want to see shaving. I don't want to see. I've seen someone. I think even putting in eye drops where you see like people pulling it, that you see someone rolling their eyelid back is is a bit like is a bit much. Well, yeah, I, I can't clipping, have that. clipping I can't nails. Have that. Clipping and filing, anything that has skin or de- body yeah. body detritus. Nasal hair. F- yeah, floating into the... You're filing your nails, like bits of your dead fingernail are just like sort of <laughs> flying across the tube carriage and landing on me. I don't think that's okay. No, but I don't wrong. mind I don't mind a mascara or seeing someone put lipstick on. I think that's... Hairspray is too much. I think there's something quite attractive about a woman who carries around a small mirror as well. Right. 
I quite because I, it's kind of it's kind of um, old Hollywood chic, French chic, maybe that yes you, that that you have that kind of and you just take out a pocket mirror like that. And Men can't do that. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, can you imagine how vain you look if you just just the thought of it, seeing a man take out a mirror and, and yeah. just sort of get the tweezers and take some nasal hair. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work. It's not the same effect. The uh, the husband had those. Went to the Turkish barbers recently and had after his cut, they st they do the na the nose wax, which is where they it's two oh. two big cotton cotton buds with wax on them that are then shoved up there and then they just pull them out in a wanna and it looks eye-watering. No, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you just, no. You're just going to have to live with my ZZ Top attached <laughs> Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast, Ian. Before thank you go... You. Uh, I would like to find out if you have anything to plug. Obviously, there's a book. So tell our listeners where they can catch you, where they can buy the book and what you've got coming up. OK, um, Death at the Chateau, which is the third in the Follet Valley series, came out yesterday, June the 1st, and it's in all um, all bookshops, not just good ones. It's in all bookshops. <laughs> bad ones. Um, Middling. <laughs> bad, especially bad ones. <laughs> Mediocre bookshops specialise in it. Uh, and it's on Audible as well, and I've, I've read that. And then I've got another series starting in uh, October, which is more serious. The, the Death at the Chateau is a kind of, it, what it is, it's um, comedy, cosy crime. Um, whereas the, the man who didn't burn, as you guess by the title, is not so funny. Yes, um, it's, it's a more serious crime. But yeah. that's that's what's coming up, and I'll I'm I'm I'll be sort of zipping about signings and, and all of that. Thank you so much for coming for coming on the podcast. So go check Ian out. Uh, I would like to say I am doing a work in progress at the Edinburgh Fringe for one week only, midday at the Monkey Barrel. Uh, you can catch me. Thank you for listening to the podcast and we will see you next time. You can listen to other programmes from The Bugle, including The Bugle, Catharsis, Tiny Revolutions, Top Stories and The Gargle, wherever you find your podcasts. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.